Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 49th episode. As a mental performance coach, I have the honor to work with athletes and coaches to enhance their mental game and help them to unlock their full potential. The reason why I created 90% Mental is to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes, coaches, and sports psychologists so they can share their stories and perspectives. So today, our topic is going to be around culture one of my favorite topics to talk about. And my guest is Dr. Kevin Elko, sports psychologist for the University of Alabama football team and for the Philadelphia Eagles, who also has coached over 23 championship teams throughout his career. He's going to talk about what it takes to create a championship culture. He's also going to talk about his new online coaching training program called Elko On Demand. Dr. Elko is one of the best in the industry, and his proven approach on creating a championship culture will surely motivate you if you're a coach wanting to create or change your culture. So, without further ado, let's go talk to Dr. Elko. Hey, Dr. Elko, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on your show here. Beautiful. I am really excited for for many reasons for having you on my show. Uh, I've been a student of your teachings for the last couple of years and have loved what you put out there. And I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is culture and how to create culture and sustain culture and protect it, all that fun stuff. And and also talk about your new training platform, which is called Elko On Demand. So I can't wait to, to talk about culture and training with you. Thank you, Grant. I'm excited to be here and I hope we can have a good time here. We can help some people. All right. Awesome. Well, as I kick off every show uh, with, with my favorite question about mental toughness. So the question is, what does mentally tough mean to you? Ownership. Best year of your life, new year, you take ownership of every single challenge, every problem you have in your life. It comes down to ownership. And mental tough is nothing but I own it. That does not mean that if I am living with somebody crazy, I own their craziness. I own my reaction to it. And uh, a guy named Charlie Wienermeyer played football at Michigan State, graduated in 1970. Wanted to be a high school football coach, came out to where you are, was a head football coach at Los Gatos High School. As soon as he got the job, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Lost the ability to walk, speak, gave him one year to live. But he owned it. Anytime you talk mental tough, I want to know how you own it. And I, I, I want to hear how, to the degree of which, you don't use excuses. And so what he did was he developed, here's what ownership grant looks like. Smells like, walks like, here it comes. He developed a system of communicating. Don his head meant a word, moving his shoulders meant a word to his wife. She coached the team. She taught school for him. He didn't live a year, he lived 32 years. He's winning us EST, look it up, coach in the history of California football. He went something like 148, 14, and 1. You know why? He owned it. Ownership is the key to everything. I work with the Philadelphia Eagles. I was there yesterday morning. Before that coach speaks to that team, I helped develop his talk, won the Super Bowl. He puts the word ownership behind him in big words. Ownership is what mental toughness is. When something comes my way, I own it. I love it. Now, when we talk about culture, what does culture mean to you? It starts with, it starts with knowing who you are. I spoke to Green Bay Packers the night before they beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And I said, you better know who you are. And I gave him the story about the land of milk and honey. If you know the story... Moses told a group of people, come look at the land of milk and honey. Come back and tell me what you see. They said, it flows with milk. It flows with honey. But, but 
but they see us as their giants. They see us as grasshoppers. So right there, you see yourself as somebody small, grasshopper. How can I get you to be anything? If I'm talking to your football team, I'm going to talk to a football team here in about an hour. If you don't see yourself as a champ, if you don't see yourself as mentally tough, if you don't see yourself as a blessing in someone else, well, how can I put that into you? So culture starts with how do I see me? That's where it starts. And you have to decide this is how I see me. And for years for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I developed self-concept scale. And what we did for all those years is bring these players in. Had the smallest budget, had the second best record. We brought the players in, Grant, and we looked at how they saw themselves. So through years, I've seen how every all pro saw themselves. I saw how everybody who fizzled out saw themselves. And I'm just here to tell you, I've got it on paper. The great ones see themselves as being able to be coached, see themselves as using the gifts that God gave them, see themselves as blessing other people, and see themselves. So culture starts with how you see yourself. And then the next part, which I'll talk about as we go on, is you have every team I'm with that wins a championship has their own language. So it's two things with culture. One, how I see myself, and what is our language. And so structure drives function. It comes down to how exactly do I see me. And that's what culture is to me. Doctor, you're preaching the gospel right there, and uh, I love it. And, I'm, and before I get into the, the nuts and bolts of building culture and championship culture, I do want to talk a little bit about your training platform before we get into um, our culture conversation, because you've written a lot of books, articles, you've trained hundreds of teams and companies, but why were you compelled to create this alcohol on demand training platform? Grant, there's a guy who, uh, Mark McCormick, started IMG. It's a sport academy, and his agent. And what he did was he wrote a book called What They Didn't Teach in Harvard School of Business. I don't think these numbers are exactly right, but I think they're close. There, he, he quoted a study in there that he found in, the, in what's called the stacks at Harvard. It's not on the Internet. And that's kind of was when I got my doctorate. I, it wasn't on the Internet. And um, so you had to go into what they call the stacks of the research. And there was he, there was a hundred there was a hundred people that came back from an MBA class at Harvard. Eighty four percent had no goals. Thirteen percent had goals. This is ten years after they graduated. Grant three percent had goals, and they looked at them all the time, over and over and over and over. They made ten times as much money as everybody else. Wow! You don't want to get to know something. You don't want to get to know something in your head subconsciously. I'm sorry, objectively. You want to know it subconsciously. So let's get into a little bit of brain chemistry here. You have something called the prefrontal cortex. It's right behind your forehead. It does your decision-making. It's exhausted very quickly. You have something called the basal ganglia. It does your habits, like brushing your teeth. While we did this platform is we wanted people to come back and revisit over and over and over if you understand what he was saying, Mark McCormick was saying in that study, what he was saying is the people that kept on reading their goals over and over and over, 3%, it got in part of their brain that it would become the main thing in their brain. You know, I tell myself, here's my goal. Read it over and over. Be a blessing to someone today. And so if you do it over and over and over, it gets into a part of your brain that's habit. Our program really goes over how teens can develop the culture by over and over and over, putting it in their brain, and then putting the process, which is unbelievably important. Everywhere I go, I mean, all of my history with Nick Saban, the process, the process, the process, also making that a habit. And so, listen, listen real close, Grant. Inspiration is for amateurs. Hmm. This isn't inspiration. It's not inspiration. 
I've got to get to these things. They become habits in my mind. And so why we developed that platform is we think that one of the most important things going on right now is coaching. I'll tell you why it's important. I talked to teachers. I talked to teachers in Alabama two days ago. We don't have an education problem in the United States. We have a parenting problem in the United States. And so what we're doing with these coaches, it's unbelievable. The burden we put on them, but if they don't do get the kids and they don't teach the kids grit and they don't teach the kids self-respect and they don't teach the kids how to, how to keep on going and not surrender, it doesn't get done. So we really believe in what coaches are doing across the board, and so we want to give them that tool to teach kids, not objectively, subconsciously, how to have grit, how to have vision, how to have goals, how to be blessing to one another. That's why we developed the program out there at uh, Lightspeed. My two guys, Tony and Sean, have been excellent in my team putting it together, and so that's why we put it together. We think it's just a great instrument in helping these coaches serve. Absolutely. And, you know, for someone who's experienced your, your training, it's, I mean, it's, and we're going to get into it, but it's an, it's a well thought out, uh, proven model. And I just can't wait for, you know, coaches out there to really experience this, this training. Cause it's, you know, it, it, you're right. For me, it is inspirational. It is motivational, but, but there's a, there's great process in it and, and great nuggets. So can't wait for everyone to check it out. So when we really think about culture, right, it's one thing of having all these concepts and ideas, but how do you, how do you get athletes and coaches, even administration, how do you get them to buy in into the culture? You know, Coach Saban calls me one day and says, it's, it's, the, it, we, it's the players that know, Coach, it's the culture. It's the language. Grant, what you do, yeah, I'm going into a big-time team. I'm going to hold the name because I want no one to get mad because it's not their team here in about an hour. First time I'm doing with this team. And so the New Zealand All Blacks, here's what I told Coach Saban. The New Zealand All Blacks are, have more success than any professional franchise anywhere. It's a rugby team. They study the Aborigines in Australia, who go on walkabouts. And when they go on walkabouts, their parents taught them songs of faith. And they sing these songs. And the word becomes flesh. They sing their destination into existence. You have to, as a coach, develop a language. Here's the language of Alabama. See a little, see a lot. See a lot, see nothing. Two pains, the pain of discipline, pain, the, the pain of regret. Thank you, I owe you. And Coach Saban speaks it constantly. So let's go back to what we keep on saying. You don't try to get buy-in objectively. You get it subconsciously. You develop your language, and you speak it nonstop. You push it into their phones. That's what we do to Alabama. We push it into their phones. We put on the monitors, and we keep on speaking it over and over and over. It's, and Joe Madden wins it with the Cubs. You go look at what they, they had a language. Do simple better. You can look it up. Do simple better. Embrace the target, the sacred 90. And Joe got a little bit away from it last year. And you have to say, you have to, as a coach, this is our language, and you speak it until they get it. They're not going to get it right away. 
there, there, there's always going to be skeptic. And so you keep on teaching it and preaching it till it starts to sink in. And my mother had a line. They'll get it over a long period of time all of a sudden. And you won't get all. You're not meant to get everyone. But every time you go, you get a little bit more. And you keep teaching it and teaching it and teaching it. And so buy-in isn't a one-time thing. Buy-in is I keep coming and keep on bringing it. That's why I keep on going to Alabama. I go into Alabama. I'll be in there about once a month, twice a month. But I send a message they put on their phones every week. And then we put all the signs on the walls. And then we drive the messages through the monitors. And it's real simple ones like see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. So it comes, Grant, from constantly, repetitiously teaching this language. And our coaches, see, let me tell you what a bad coach is. And this is the heart of our program. A bad coach will say 5,000, will say 5,000 different things once. A great coach will say one thing 5,000 times <laughs> until it catches. Right. So I want to keep on going. And so we're, we're a little off on this persuasion thing. Keep on teaching it till over a long period of time, they get it all of a sudden. And the coach has to be the leader. And we have a leadership deficit in this country. We have very few leaders. So that's when you come across, you know, a, a Nick Saban, you come across a Doug Peterson. You realize you came across something pretty special. And so when Doug Peterson was teaching the concept of ownership to the Eagles, he put it, I would teach it before he would come. Then he would teach it. Then he would put in red lights behind him. Then he would have his captains teach it. Then he would put it in different video form. But he kept on coming different mediums till they got it, and you see the result. Hmm. What do you think the hardest thing is for a coach in in building a culture, especially when they're walking day one into into a new team, a new organization? Discouragement. Hmm. Discouragement. Because what happens is the process is so important and we can get so easy at looking at results. And um, you've you got to stay on the process. I, I showed this to Doug Peterson at the Eagles yesterday morning. Um, there was, I saw this, I actually saw it on a, a movie where these monks came in to the White House and each of them have a stone and they take a little knife and they scrape the stone and it'd be red and green and blue. And they worked together as a team, and it became a beautiful mosaic. And that happened for like that would happen for like twelve hours a day. They would do for maybe ten days. The minute the mosaic's done, they just blow it away. The coach has to fall in love with the process of it. it, it, it Carol Dweck at Stanford, one of my favorite phrases: "Becoming is much more more important than being." And we're teaching our players to get completely lost into the process. As a coach, just stay on the process. But the hardest thing is we get discouraged when we see results. But back to my mother's phrase, they'll turn, they'll get it over a long period of time all of a sudden. You have to get grit as a coach in teaching your players grit. You, we, we have to stay with it until it catches. And we get so caught up in the results that it gets to a place where it, it kind of fuzzies our mind and takes our energy away. So I use self-talk like no judgment. Keep chopping. Keep planting grass. Don't pull weeds. And so as a coach, we've got to stay on it until it catches. And the, the concept of keep planting grass, don't pull weeds, means if I keep planting the grass, it will choke out the weeds. Keep teaching it. Keep going over. It will mm. catch. Beautiful. It's the same with parenting. It's the same with parenting. I mean, it's the discouragement. The discouragement of our children discourages us. 
but we've got to stay encouraged to keep teaching until they finally get a point that they believe in themselves and they start on this whole going down the street of process and grit. How important do you think, when you look at all the, the principles of building culture, how important is grit in the whole big picture? The whole ball game. The whole ball game. I mean, if you look at the work of Anderson Duckworth out of Penn and the article that kicked it off is in the Wall Street Journal, Why Tough Teachers Get the Best Results, was an article they profiled her and Carol Dweck that kicked off the whole movement, so to speak. And I think it's the whole ball game. If you really define what grit is, first, personality characteristics. So let's look at personality characteristics. There's something called cellular memory. If you ever get a heart transplant, you'll pick up the urge of somebody's heart. I tell people all the time, if you get my heart, keep your mouth shut. That's between us. I didn't even get out there. <laughs> so why, why would I bring that up here? It's called cellular memory. It, so if you practice over and over again, it becomes part of your makeup. If you really want to learn how to be someone who forgives, you have to practice forgiving. If you want somebody who has peace, you have to practice peace. If you want grit, you have to literally practice not quitting, and it gets down in your cells. In sports, of course, we used to call it muscle memory, but now they call it cellular memory, that literally at the very level of the cells, the lessons are taught and learned. So the first point is grit is a personality characteristic. So when the, when the coach comes in and teaches the athlete how not to quit over and over and over, see, inspiration's for amateurs. That's not an inspiration. That's a habit that gets part of who and what they are. So the first part grit is a personality characteristic. Second part is private speech that we have that won't let us quit. So Cal Newport Jr. is at MIT. He said the number one factor in successful people, they have one obsession in their personality. They have to finish everything. Hmm. And, and my father lied about his age, went off to war, came back home, was stuck in critical stress, and his nerves were sort of fried. And so everything he tried, Grant, he couldn't finish because his nerves were fried. It drove me nuts. So I have to finish everything. So watching that, you know, that, that's what they call that. Meg Jay at Virginia calls that being a super normal. I have to finish everything. And it kind of set my career. We have to do it over and over to become an obsession. And it has to be private speech that we have, that we say over and over to ourselves. It almost gets to the point where it's not, in, it's not audible. And it makes us finish everything we start. That's life. That's relationships. That's job. That's marriage. That's everything. And here's the big part that we've got to teach as coaches. That's not a feeling. That's a choice. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care who's in a relationship. They could be Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful. Staying with them is not a feeling. <laughs> I don't care what job you're doing. I don't care what job you're doing. Finishing is not a feeling. I don't care what you're doing in life. I am worn out, beat up this week. I felt like going home two days ago. But I'm going to finish this because I decided to. It's a choice. And so what grit is, it's a private conversation based on it became part of my personality because I repeated it as a private conversation that I just won't quit. And what I'm doing is it's based on a decision, not a feeling. I was with the Dolphins, and we had a fullback named Rob Comrade. I go, Rob, I've never watched you run out of bounds. He said, I ran out of bounds one day. Jimmy Johnson, our coach, said, you ever run out of bounds? I'm going to cut you. I never ran out of bounds. He was, he was fishing in Boca Raton, a two, year, Boca Raton two, two uh, winters ago, 27 miles from shore. Fell off the boat. Boat's on automatic pilot. Keeps going. He, he, he swims to shore. Takes hours. 
I, I t- told my daughter, teach to my daughter, that wasn't a feeling. That was a choice. And I said, Jimmy Johnson saved his life because he put grit down in him. That, that's what I think coaches do. I said, Jimmy saved his life. He got in the water. He thought about his wife and daughter. He just said, swim. His, his brain was programmed different than the rest of us. He conditioned it. That's grit. How important is it? It's everything. It's everything. That's awesome. You know, when I'm when I'm talking about culture and I'm working with teams, you know, when you think about the image of culture, you know, the culture, our house, we're building this house. And when you think of the pillars that that support the house, when you think of the pillars that are within a culture, and I know you've talked a little bit about some of this already, but what are the main pillars that really sustain a culture? Make it long-lasting. You have to start with ownership, Grant. And what I do with all the teams I'm with, I put them in units. Put them in 10 units. Mm. I put offensive lines a unit. Tight ends are a unit. Wide receivers are a unit. Running backs are a unit. Defensive backs, defensive line, coaches, special teams. And within the unit, you have ownership. So you answer to each other. So I've been a part of 25 championships, Super Bowls, National Championships. Started with Miami. And you teach ownership within the unit. So if somebody isn't doing their job, someone says, I believe in you. I think you've got more in you than that. And what happened is within the unit, you build ownership. And really, I got it when Butch Davis and I were in Miami years ago and trying to get that turn on. We went in when, when Sports Illustrated read an article, Miami should close football. And Butch was studying Tom Osborne, who at the time was in Nebraska, and found out that one day Tom Osborne left the office, came back, and a senior receiver, not a coach, was teaching the freshman pass patterns. So Butch says, I'm going to teach this place how to go ahead and be accountable and answer and teach to each other. And so I put them in units, and they have to answer ownership to one another. And they have to teach each other, believe in each other, challenge each other. I love Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, uh, our, our offensive lineman. And I just love the way he challenges them, keeps them intact. And he would go to one of our guys was struggling a little bit. And Lane was out. And he goes, if I was here, he wouldn't struggle because I teach him, I believe in him, and I wouldn't allow him to go that direction. So it starts, it starts to me with the whole concept of ownership. Then it goes to grit. Grit insofar as this is this phrase. Don't practice you do it right. Practice you can't do it wrong. You have to practice till you practice not quitting. And you have to practice when you get lost in what you're doing. So I go next in the process, grit and the process. And I'm putting those two phrases together. The story about this boy, supposedly in your hometown, my sister found this story in San Francisco. And this boy was born without a left arm. His mother wanted to play sports, so she rolled him in judo. Instructor taught the kid one, one move and said, master the move. Puts him in all these tournaments. He wins these tournaments. Now he's a champion. He's crossing the brute. Referee goes over and instructs says, you're going to get that kid killed. The kid will be fine. The kid says, you're going to get me killed. You'll be fine. They win the match. They're going home. The, the, the kid looks at the instructor says, why'd you do that to me? I have a left arm. That guy was a killer and he only taught me one move. The instructor said, I told you to master that move. Did you? He said, yeah. He said, well, there's only one defense for that move. Grab your left arm. Hmm. You've got to get to a point where you're making your one move. It gets part of your process. 
It's automatic. You won't stop making it. You never look at the scoreboard. You get lost in mindfulness in what you're doing. So I'm putting these two phrases together as my second and third point. My second and third point is the whole concept of process, complete process, and being where your feet are. Being completely lost in what you're doing, being in the zone. Last part. I'm not looking for blessings coming to my life. I'm looking to be a blessing in someone's life. Teams win when players are there for other players. I was talking to Trent Richardson last night. He was on our team when we beat Alabama, beat LSU. And he went up and met the player called Honey Badger at the Heisman ceremony. He came back and says, I really like him. He's a good human being. I got the team together and said, we don't dislike LSU. We're playing because we love each other. Mm. Had a great game. LSU never crossed the 50 that game. Real men, real women, real adults, Grant, serve other people. And that's the fourth one. My daughter was in this contest called DECA. And um, she uh, went down to Atlanta. And she goes, I want to go to Ebenezer Baptist. I want to go to the place where Martin Luther King preached. She did. She called and said, Dad, it was the best sermon ever. They teach what we teach in our home. I said, what was that? To go bless others. To go be there for others. You know, when, you're, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was lonely, did you visit me? You know, when I was sick, did you comfort me? She goes, that was a message. She said, Dad, I thought I was listening to you. I want my kids to be a blessing. I want them to take the gift that was given to them, whatever that may be, and go serve and bless others. And that's the job of sport. And that's the job of culture. And if we don't do that, nothing else matters. Because you know what? I get to a point where I realize I'm here to serve other people. And what a great vehicle to teach that. And if you don't teach that and all you're teaching is let's go win, you don't deserve that job. Exactly. You got me all fired up here, Grant. <laughs> I love it, Doctor. I love it. Yeah, you, There's one thing that I've heard you say multiple times you talk about one of the key ingredients is faith or belief. And if a team doesn't have faith, it's just, it's just not going to be successful. All Nick Foles kept talking about in the Super Bowl was faith. And here, let, so let's define it. Because I was lucky enough to work with him. Nick and I did a program for the Eagles yesterday. Faith is believing in things you have not seen, the reward you get if you keep on believing as you get to see it. I believe this by the evidence. I watched the evidence change. So here comes the Eagles, and Carson Wentz goes down. And the whole country saying, odds of the Super Bowl, they're out. Well, you tell me why they want it. They got together and said, I don't care what anybody says. We're going to choose to have faith. Malcolm Jacobs sends me a text the morning of the Super Bowl. He goes, to that later tonight will shock the whole world, but we won't shock ourselves. Oh, I love and it. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. I choose to believe it. When North Carolina State won the national championship under Jim Valvano, the big thing was, I think his name was Whitten or Wittenberg, he kept on saying, faith, we choose to believe. And I tell people all the time, the greatest gift my mother thought ever gave me, they believed in me. And I can't do anything unless I go and I believe. So I got a guy who lives by me, I write about it in my in uh, all of my books, I think I profiled it in uh, the most in um, in uh, the last book that I wrote, The Sender. And he's walked across the street and gets hit by a car. One was texting, 40 miles an hour hit him, named Lee Ford. 
gave him an hour to live, gave him a day to live, gave him a week. He's going to die eventually. He doesn't die. He's going to be blind and quadriplegic. No, he's going to be fine. I said, Leah, I said, how'd you do this? He said, I believe in spite of the evidence. I watched the evidence change. That's pretty good. You, you got it. When a coach teaches, you got to believe. When, when a, when a athlete is in front of you, you got to believe. And it's a choice. And it, it, nothing will ever happen without faith. And, you know, I'm a spiritual guy, but I'm not talking just in a spiritual realm here. I'm a faith guy, but I'm not, you know, I'm a man of faith. But I'm just not talking about religiosity here. I'm talking about I have faith in my team. Team has faith in the coach. And when it happens, unbelievable things, unbelievable things occur. And there's all kinds of ways people can get doubt and disbelief. And you have to keep choosing it over and over and over. That was hallmark. That was central to everything that happened with the Eagles. When, you know, everybody sees they won it, you've got your backup quarterback, Carson Wentz down. You've got, you've got Jason Peters, you're all pro tackle down. You've got Hicks down, you, who's, who's your unbelievable linebacker. You've got the head of your special teams, Mara goes down. But they still chose to have faith and won it. And even embraced the concept of being in the underdog and laughed at it. you got to have it. you got to choose it. And it's not based on logic. That's the problem. It's based on I'm just a, I'm just the kind of person that thinks that way. Hundred percent, I love it. I love it. Now, l- let me ask you a different question here. Is it possible for teams to have culture overload, meaning where there's too much emphasis on process? And, and I say this because there's a coach, Coach Rennie Jackson at a North 40 high school in Texas. Um, incredible coach. He wrote a book that's called Culture Defeat Strategy. And I've had him on my show and he's a dynamic coach. He, his model of culture is incredible. I mean, there's a lot to it. And when I first read this book, I was like, wow, this is, this is too much. Like you can get lost into all the expectations and the things that you need to do from the athlete, the coach, the parent, and the administration. It just, they had all these things that they had to do every day. But as the more that I, I read the book, the more that I understood his perspective and his goals, it all came down to accountability. He's like, this stuff won't work if I'm not holding every part of it and my coach is holding every part of it every single day. So do you think cultures can get caught up in, in, in culture overload? Well, to me, culture is, this is the way this place is structured. It's the kind of things we talked about here. You, you call them pillars. Um, I think I like do simple better. He's had unbelievable success and he's done very well with everything. Um, I think do simple better. Now, if you can do, if you can get everybody involved, if you can get the teachers and the coaches and the parents and everything good. If you can't get them, just get what you can. Mm. And I, when I first go into a place, do I think everybody's on board with culture? No. No, I, you go into major university, the administration first with you. I think sooner or later you can get them with you to keep teaching it. He sounds like he's done a nice job. It looks like he's done a great job on sales, on what he's doing. But what you're talking about there is he's saying accountability. I'm holding people to a standard. Yeah. And that's even part of Alabama's, the standard. You're saying that part of his culture is a standard. Is it possible to have a standard so high it's not achievable? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good question. 
I think in some ways you're almost better with the rhetorical part of the question. Is that true? It looks like he's in a situation and he can get that done. Um, I think a bigger problem is we're not clear, like even in our country, we're not clear on what our culture is. Mm. To me, the culture should be real simple, e pluris umum. Many people of many different origins, plurious, become one. And that's what he's done. And to me, a bigger challenge isn't that it's overload, it's not clear. To me, that's a bigger problem. And then you just keep on chipping away and thinking like, what he's done, he's got, got them all. So good for him. But if you can, just get what you can and make it as clear and concrete as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. And another question here before before we close up here. You've worked with, obviously, Alabama Christmas Tide, the football team, Philadelphia Eagles, the Florida State Seminoles football team, Green Bay Packers, the Steelers, and the list goes on. I know you've talked a lot about different aspects of creating culture, but when you think about these organizations that you've worked with, what do you think the key ingredient is, and is it similar throughout each organization? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's getting, it's almost what you asked in the last question. It's getting the, here's who we are. And then it's the second part is the language. At Alabama, there's someone else incredible, Scott Cocker, who I think also has a program on Lightspeed. And you, in these programs, the coach also needs other people to constantly execute and to teach. And I think that a teacher is incredible. There's not, there's a, Grant, there's a talent shortage everywhere. There's a talent shortage of teachers. There's a talent shortage of sports psychology professors. There's a talent shortage of, of, of every leader, of every doctor. But when you get one who's a real teacher and knows how to teach it, and the biggest challenge is for the coach to get someone that knows how to be able to, here's the biggest challenge, ready, here goes, connect. Mm. Connectivity is the whole ball game. And so what the challenge is and what the great ones do. Look, I'm not saying Nick Saban's positive all the time. That's obvious. But he's an unbelievable connector. I'm not saying that uh, – I don't know what Scott Crockett is as strength coach at Alabama, but he's one of the best connectors I've ever seen. We work a lot at the Eagles on the concept of connection. I see you as a person. And so now that means I have to listen. I have to talk with you. There was a study done at Pittsburgh City Schools. The number one factor in the elevation of math scores is when the, when the school teacher goes to the child's basketball game. So connection is a big deal. And so I tell people be intentional every day with connecting with one athlete. Just connect with one. And then through that one, I can teach my culture. But I've got to get relationships. Connection is the ball game. Connection is everything. It's huge. And then I've got to get my leaders to learn how to connect. So to me, the biggest challenge is I have, I have the culture. The coach you talked about sounds like he's incredible with. I have my culture. It's who we are. I teach the language. And then every day I connect. And each one, I teach one. I have a friend that was a financial advisor. Now she's a minister. And she goes, the real ministry is today one-on-one. I have to get one-on-one with players and teach one each day till it catches. And so to me, that's the biggest challenge. Connection. I see you as a person. Mary Kay out of Dallas. Everybody has a big, big um, sign on them. Make me feel important. Make me feel like I'm a somebody. And that's, I think, the ball game. To get in front of somebody and be where your feet are. 
and to listen to them. You, you make a great point, and I agree with you 100% about connection and connecting. But especially with the roles that you and I are in, there's only one of us, right? So when you're working with a team, especially to, to enhance their culture, I know how important it is to work with an athlete one-on-one, but the coach is the one that has more exposure, more time with these with these athletes. So do you spend more time teaching the structure and the language to the coach to push down into the team, or are you spending time with the coach and also the athletes one-on-one? I do both because of ownership and what I told you about within the unit. So I'll speak to the whole team, then I'll say, give them the leaders. And then I'll go with the offensive line, for example, and teach them, now you've got to go connect, and you've got to go find a player, and you've got to encourage a player, and you've got to go teach a player each day what we are about here. So I do both. I start with the coach, then I go to coaches, and then I go to the um, leaders, and a leader in each unit, and I tell them, now learn how to go connect. What does that mean? In your hurry-up day, in your world, one-on-one, connect with a player. Talk with them. Be a great listener. No, don't go to them and be so interesting. Be interested. And I teach the players how to connect. That's what we do a lot in the program. We teach the coaches how to teach their players how to connect one-on-one and teach culture. Mm. Really important. It's real, super important. I love it. Well, doctor, how do we, how do my listeners, how do they follow you on social media and how do they get a hold of this training that you have now on El- Elko Demand? Go to DrElko.com. That's our website. We do different things. We have a podcast we do every Monday. We have something that comes out on Thursday nights called the Pep, the Pep Talk. That's for coaches and athletes. We do that every Thursday. If you go there, you go to Dr. Elko on Demand, and you can pull up. You can see on DrElko.com they'll have how you can get this program through Lightspeed as well. And just go to, go to DrElko.com, and that can be clear, or Dr. Elko on Demand. And it will show you exactly what to do when you go on there to get that program perfect well doctor this this was incredible again one of my favorite topics and you have so much uh knowledge to to share and and i encourage every coach and even athlete to to get a hold of this training and this is such a treat um to to follow you the last couple of years and to follow your work and, and use a lot of your work within my work and have you on my show is an honor. So thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you. I followed your work as well. It's fascinating what you're doing. I thought you did a fabulous job today. Thanks for having me. Um, you're a blessing to people. Thank you. Thank you.